Blog Talk Radio. All right. Greetings, ladies and gents. It's another episode of JL Radio. Hope you got those hot toddies and snuggies ready as we prepare to get just a little deep before your bedtime. Shout out to the 500-plus listeners that supported our first show back on the airwaves in four years. (laughs) Tonight's topic is about the cultural deprivation of African-American youth within higher education. We're going to answer and discuss some of your questions and concerns about the pros and cons of a attending a HBCU, a historical black college and or university, versus a PWI, which is a predominantly white institution. We have a few people on the line that are going to help us go through this conversation, and I'm about to make you guys alive in one second. Hey there, how you guys doing? Good, good. Hey, all right. So we have some wonderful people on the line that's going to break this down for us, give us their opinion of this topic. So first off, I would like to welcome James to the show. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing great. My first question to you is, what did you think of when you first heard this topic? Uh, I definitely thought it was a great idea. Like I know my, myself, I had the had the choice between between choosing the uh, uh, predominantly African American school and uh, uh, what what'd you call it? Uh, <laughs> PWI. The, uh, the the PWI. So I definitely had okay. that choice, and I uh, understand a little bit about it. Okay. So, what influenced you to make that decision? Uh, well, for me. It was. It was a. My choice was. I, I guess you was. I was. I would call it an educated decision. Well, I. I know. Uh, the, the school I was going to go to was uh, Tennessee State. I know it was. A, it was a, definitely a top ten, top ten, fifteen business school at the time. I was uh, going making my choice for college. But at the same time, like I, mm-hmm. I, I thought about it, and I, and and this is is not an all black world. So my thinking was, I need to. Like I need to understand the other side because my where I'm from is predominantly uh, African American, mm-hmm. so I never I had never been around uh, Caucasian people, white people, so this was my way of actually learning and understanding uh, their thought process, how they think. Mm-hmm. So that, that that's pretty much how I how I made my decision. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful, uh, Desiree. How are you today? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. So what were your thoughts when I first introduced this topic to you? I was so excited because I have strong opinions about this, and um, <laughs> nobody discusses it. So, so I was um, I was glad that you invited me to the conversation. Mm-hmm. Now, can you give us a little background on your educational background? Yes. I um, I started my college career at Howard University, and I finished my college career at Oakland University in Michigan. So I started at a um, HBCU, and I ended at a PWI. So um, that's my I have experience with both, and my opinion about it at the beginning is. Like when I started my college career, is the same as my opinion after experiencing both. Mhm. Okay. So give us a little insight with your approach towards a historical black college and university. Why you chose to go there? Well, um, initially my decision to go there was pretty um, superficial. I went on a, a um, HBCU college tour. And um, I actually went thinking that I wanted to go to North Carolina A&T because they had a, um, a top-rated engineering school, and I was planning to be a chemical engineer. Um, but when I got to Howard's campus, it felt like home, um, and it felt like that's where I needed to be. So that's basically how I made my decision initially. Um, and I'm the type of person, when I make a decision, it, it, that's what it is, even even in high school. That, like, my decision is, is what stands. So I only applied to Howard. I didn't apply to any other school. I applied to Howard. Um, I got accepted. I got a full-ride scholarship, and I went. 
and I loved it. Um, but in that process, of course, you know, your friends are all applying to multiple schools, and they're applying to schools here at home, and, you know, and they said the same thing that James said, the world is not all black. Um, but from, from my perspective, being a successful adult requires that you know how to deal with people in general, not mm-hmm. black people, white people, colored people, but people in general, because everybody has a different personality type. Everybody has, you know, different quirks. And if you are a flexible person or a person that's able to um, accommodate other people or people that are different from you, then you'll succeed in life. And it doesn't, from my perspective, matter what race those people are. Um, so it's, it's more it's more of a to me a um, an exercise in personal development and growth versus uh, race relations. If we're if we're talking about just across the board being a adult in the in the world. So um, yeah, and and what I liked about HBCU is when I was there, I was with a community of people that looked like me that were striving for the same things I was striving for. So, um, you know, growing up in Detroit, Detroit is one of the most segregated cities still um, that I think I've ever been to, you know, or lived in. Because when I went mm-hmm. to college, there were um, all of my friends had, like you would discuss, like, friends from back home, and people would ask you, well, is that person white or black? And I'm like, they're black. Like, because from my from my experience, I only ever went to school with black people. So um, going, matriculating through college with people with in a, in a environment that I was already comfortable with, to me allowed me to focus more on um, being a successful college student and you know making good grades and enjoying my time there versus trying to figure out race relations. So. Mm-hmm. I absolutely agree with everything you said, both of you guys. I started mm-hmm. my academic career, collegiate career, at Alcorn State University, <laughs> in the historical <laughs> black college in Lorman, Mississippi. And I initially told my mom, I want to go to Harvard. And she was like, you are not going to Harvard. That is not going to happen for you. You might want to try Howard, but I don't even think that's going to work out. <laughs> I was like, oh, my gosh. Man, so, no confidence. <laughs> but yeah, because if you think about it, aiming that high within the black community, that's not normal. We don't encourage yeah, it's, it's our kids. Unreal. Yeah, it, we don't really encourage our kids to say, hey, you need to try to get your education so you can go to the absolute best school that you can go to. It's like, you know what, you yeah. might not want to aim that high, you feel this I get hurt. But, you know, I see both sides of it. But overall, I ended up going to Alcorn State University because I saw a brochure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, Mom, I want to go to the place that has all these trees. That's what I want to do. And she's like, that makes no sense. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was literally one of the best decisions of my life. Uh, I did grow up mm-hmm. in a black community, of course, and I was always around black kids. But my high school, I went to Providence, <clears throat> and it was predominantly black, and something happened there, embarrassing. But then I moved on to Holy Trinity High School, which had a great mixture of students. So that was my first time being exposed to students that weren't just black. So uh, it enlightened me a great deal, and I thought that, hmm, this is kind of good. Maybe I should explore going to a school that's uh, outside of the HBCU network. But I still stay true to what my family taught me, and I went to HBCU. So that was my reasoning for going to HBCU. That is not an awesome reason just because they have trees. (laughs) 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 But for me... (laughs) <laughs> that worked. That was that was how God got me there, okay? I was extremely happy about it. And I felt like going to HBCU allowed me the opportunity to truly embrace who I am as a black woman. And you are in these spaces that encourage you and shape and mold you and your mindset uh, to be as powerful as you can be as a black person. And 
I didn't really appreciate that until um, once I graduated and I went to grad school at Indiana State University, and I saw the drastic difference there for grad school. Uh, so <laughs> I can relate to both sides. I'm glad I can speak about both sides of that. Um, and I asked all of you about your feelings about the HBCUs versus the PWIs. How do you feel about the concept or the idea that HBCUs aren't as, uh, they don't provide the quality education that a PWI does? Well, I, I don't I don't really believe that. Like, I, I believe that the, you get out of it what you put into it. Mm-hmm. So if if you if if someone feels that they're not getting educated at that place, like you at at the end of the day you're you're an adult, so you're supposed to be educate learning how to educate yourself. That's what college is supposed to be about. Okay. So for me, when someone when someone says that that that, that, a, that a predominantly black school is not as good as a as a as a a, a mixed school or, or or a predominantly white school, I think I think it's a it's a cop out. Like it's, it's you didn't want to put in that extra work. Because even for me, when I went to college, I, like I was so far behind, I didn't even know what a syllabus was. Oh, yeah. But I had to, so I had to put in that extra work because that's where I wanted to be. That's I, 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 and and for me, I'm a I'm a I'm I'm huge on education, and I, I, I and I'm a uh, definitely a like a history buff. I, I love to study history. So for me, it was more of if this is where you want to be, these are the steps you're going to need to take. So you can't you can't say. Uh, a certain place is not 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 as a uh, educational or somewhere else. Like the person, it's it's, a, it's an individual thing. You're learning how to be an individual. Like you said, you're, you're you're supposed to be coming into your own as an adult. So you can't rely on someone else to teach you all the time. Mm-hmm. Like you have to do some research on your own. You have to learn some things on your own. The teacher can't teach you everything. So it, it, it's definitely a huge cop out, and like I, I definitely don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. What about you, Desiree? Yeah, I have to agree. I don't. Um, I, I don't think that that PWIs are offer better education than um, HBCUs. I don't think that at all. And considering that I went to both in undergrad, um, I guess I should say I'm a chemist. So in undergrad, I studied chemistry, and my education, the the quality of the education that I received at Howard was the same as the quality of education I received at Oakland University. And um, like James said, when when you go to college, honestly, I don't know what I actually learned in the classroom. I can't say that I learned anything <laughs> in the classroom. Uh, exactly. Because <laughs> you, spend, you spend your time um, listening halfway and taking notes, and then you have to go home and during study time you're digesting those notes and, you know, doing your own practice and all that kind of stuff. So, you're basically teaching yourself, and I think that's what college is all about, is um, training you for the discipline that it's going to require for you to be an adult and to, you know, operate in the real world. And on right. top of that, all the stuff that we learn in college, for the most part, maybe we get foundational um, education, but when we go into our careers, it's mainly on-the-job tra- on training. Like, you go in exactly. and you learn how the the company that you work for needs you to do your job and you do it that way. And you and then at that point you're progressing through, you know, a corporate ladder or into entrepreneurship or whatever and all of that requires mm-hmm. self study. So I don't I, I really think college is an exercise in discipline. Like that's you're you're learning how to how to live. You're not necessarily there for the specific things that you learn in the book. So I absolutely agree. I There is this acronym, and I cannot remember it wholly, so I'm just going to summarize, that college is your introduction to independence. And mm, it focuses, yes. Yeah, it, it focuses on how you are able to communicate with other individuals, how you're able to handle yourself under pressure, meet deadlines, exactly. and evolve. So. That's really what I think college is, and I'll agree with you about not remembering what I learned in the classroom. I was a pretty good student. I do not remember any pivotal moments in class where I was like, oh, my God, I'm becoming a genius. 
this is going to stick with me for life. It, it was those moments outside of the classroom. I felt that I was provided mm-hmm. some tools, especially within my African-American literature class, because my undergraduate degree is in English literature. So when I was okay. actually... Yeah, and I was actually able to sit down and study the writings of um, different individuals and how they summarized what happened to our ancestors prior to now. Uh, That's when I really developed as an individual and a person, and that's what really opened my eyes to who I can be and the different aspirations I developed afterwards. So bringing that point up, that that was a phenomenal point that I just cannot stop reiterating is uh, how college exposes you to different things that you're supposed to unpack on your own, and that helps to develop you as an individual. Mm-hmm. Oh, we have some questions coming in. Oh, okay. <laughs> Mark West would like to know, why can't black people see that if you're able to successfully navigate within white spaces that you've guaranteed yourself a better quality of life? Um, yeah. Why? Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, I think that's a opinion. That's not fact at all. Yeah. There's, yeah, there's, I agree. Um, there are white people that are just like black people if you take away the color and vice versa. Mm-hmm. It's not about the the color of your skin is about, oh, wow, the content of your character. Imagine that. I wasn't trying to make that quote. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, seriously, it's, it, I, I think at some point, yes, race relations matter. Um, we do still have inequalities. But if you if you put on some blinders like you, and you can't see color, you, you start to see who a person is. And there are difficult people, and there are agreeable people, and you have to um, develop your interpersonal skills to be able to handle that. It doesn't matter yeah. if if you can if you can successfully learn how to how to deal with people in general, difficult or otherwise. Then, if you get put in a situation where race is an issue, um, then you'll be able to handle that. But that's just a a. a yeah. It's just a different situation. You know, that's one of many situations, and race happens to be a part of it. It's not necessarily, um, I just, I can't agree. I just can't agree. Like, I I can't imagine how at at this point in our lives or at, at this point in, you know, the world, we're still feeling like if you can navigate through white people, then you can navigate through the world. Like, no, master yourself. Mm-hmm. Let that let that be what yeah. you strive for, um, being your best self, not trying to fit in the scope of what, what you think. Because to me, that comes across as you you believe there's a hierarchy and, and white people are it. Ooh, okay. And I, I can't I can't rock with that. So um, yeah, that was an opinion yeah. to me. I can't I can't put that yeah. in that. Yeah, at at the end of the day, I, I like I feel like if you're if you're good enough, they'll come to you. So uh-huh. if, if if you're not getting the job that you want, that means you just have to work harder at perfecting your craft. Like you can't you can't use race at the end of the day as as that's what's holding me back or that's what's getting me forward because I can I can navigate yeah. through uh, the white world. Like there there are, are hundreds of black businesses out here. Uh, in the United States and internationally, that don't have to deal, have to have to maneuver through white people. They they have their own, they control their own, and no one else is telling them what to do. So, for for someone to say like that's the only way you can navigate and be successful, I think is a load of mess. Like I had I like for myself, uh, uh, just for the, the company that I work for, we we started this uh, our freshman year in college. So uh background on me, I'm the I'm the business development manager for uh international uh, black owned international sports companies, okay? We're based out of Dubai and only reason okay. I'm here in Chicago is because we opened a branch here and I'm I'm in control I'm I'm responsible for uh launching and, and, and growing uh our organization over here in the States. And the people that I come in contact with 
black and white, it, it has nothing to do with your race. If you know what you're doing, people will come to you. Like we, we yeah. have some serious some serious development things going on here now, and I'm dealing with all different races. It's not just because uh, I know how to speak to white people. Like that, that's not, that has nothing to do with it. It's because we have perfected something, and, and once people see it, they believe in it, and they're, they're willing to help us uh, become successful any way they can. And that's, that's African-Americans, that's Caucasians, and it's, it's Indians and it's whoever. So you can't, like, I don't, like, I don't, I definitely, I wholeheartedly disagree with, uh, with, with that, that, uh, that question or that, that comment because, like, it, I'm living it right now. Yeah. I have to, I, to piggyback off of that, I'm um, an entrepreneur. I run two businesses where I um, develop cosmetics and also help beauty brands uh, position themselves for success. And because I'm African-American and social media people can see that, black people assume that my client base is black. However, mm-hmm. the majority of my clients are not. And um, I think that's that's more so an issue within our community. I'm, I'm hired based on my merit and um, being able to show another business what I have to offer them. And th- my clients don't look to me, my, my white clients don't look to me and say, oh, you're black, can you manage my white business? You know, but, but black people assume that I am a, um, a, a black business, if, if that makes sense. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, uh, it's, it's very interesting, the dynamic and the perspective that our, our people have with regard to um, race and culture and business and work and all that within America. It's, it's really interesting to me. You see different things when when you're in a different position. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. I'm wondering if if we're hindering ourselves by always focusing on uh, black and white as an issue, if I'm, okay, I'll give an example. Uh, If I'm talking to a certain family member and I'm telling them a situation that happened and they're like, oh, was was this person white or black? (laughs) It's almost like, oh, you know, and and they were white, they were black. But if you say, I don't know, or other, it, it seems like it, allows the story to lose some type of validity or relatability. So from what you two just said, it just made me wonder if sometimes we're hindering ourselves by focusing so much on black and white. But due to the background and history of our people within this country, it's something that we really can't avoid, especially within the education system. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and from, from my experiences from traveling, and and doing business over in Dubai, like this country is is one of the only ones that actually focuses so much on race. Out out in out in Dubai, it you have you have races from all countries, all nationalities, all different cultures, and they all out they're all out there doing business. And at the end of the day, they don't care what color you are. All they care about is uh, what do you do and how can we make money together. And mm-hmm. uh, from from seeing that, and then coming here, like there there is a, there is a lot of focus here, and you don't you really don't see it until you come back to the states. Mm-hmm. But there's always ways around that stuff. Like if if you're if you're like I said before, if you're good at what you do, it does not matter what color the person is. That like if if you if you're per, per, perfect at your craft, or your business is is the top, if you're the top at whatever, they'll come to you. That's black, white, Chinese, purple, brown, whatever color you are. That that it it, it uh, it's based off of off of uh, uh your business savvy and and, and your knowledge of of uh, what it is that you're in position to to, to provide to your service for. Um, we have another question slash comment uh, from Armani. She says, what and why do we have HBCUs? Why don't we just have high schools? High schools on the books is all black schools as well. So, Armani, I'm just going to look something up for you real quick, and then um, if you guys want to dive into that. 
It says here on it.gov, historical black colleges and universities are institutions that were established prior to 1964 and have the principal mission of educating black Americans. These institutions were founded and developed in an environment of legal segregation and by providing access to higher education contributed substantially to the progress of blacks that have made in improving their status. Today there are... 100 HBCUs located within 19 states, the District of Columbia, and the U.S. Virgin Islands. Of the 100 HBCUs, 51 are public institutions and 49 are private, not-for-profit institutions. The number of students enrolled at HBCUs rose by 45% between 1976 and 2011, from 223,000 to 324. Although HBCUs were originally founded to educate black students, they have historically enrolled students other than black Americans. So that's a little brief synopsis that goes to break down how uh, the HBCU's enrollment has dwindled over the years, but still they're in the forefront of providing African Americans with degrees. So any thoughts on that? No? I'm not. I, I, I think that's pretty much answered the question. question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She mentioned something about high schools being on the books as all black. I don't know if there are any Chicago public schools that are on the books as an all black school. I guess if their population is more than 71% black or African American, then they're already that. Um, however, <laughs> I don't know of any that are saying, hey, come here come be educated with us. This is an all-black school uh, that is a public uh, school. Yeah, yeah, I don't think there's any like that either. Like, I, I I deal with a lot of people that work in the school systems in Chicago and northwest Indiana. I think it's, it's pretty much based off of uh, the population in the area of that school. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, and on top of that, I don't think you can say, come, this is an all-black school, and then – so, like, would it be okay if someone said this is an all-white school and you would have protests? So mm-hmm. you can't technically say anything like that and 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 it, and have it uh, actually be legal. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's, she it's didn't really understand. Yeah, maybe she didn't but, understand how historically, you know, why HBCUs exist, how they came to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because at exactly. this point, I mean, it's not they're not institutions. Um, for the same reasons, and I was just like, well, we just continue the history. It's something that we, we take pride in and that we're honored by, you know. Mm-hmm. But they, they still serve a purpose because a, a, a lot of a lot of uh, African Americans from the South, from up North, uh, I think that it, it's, it's a lot easier for them to get into the, to the HBCUs, and it's not, not based on, not because of the grades, but because of the, the, the extra stipulations, the extracurricular activities you have to have uh, as a requirement to get in these, into these, uh, the, I guess you would call them major schools, there's, there's a lot of other, other things that, that, that we don't know about that are requirements like volunteering. I didn't know about that when I was coming up going trying to uh, fill in forms uh, for school, uh, what, what uh, 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 activity that you what, – what, what is it, what activities did you belong to in school, what were you uh, – uh, members of, or in your school, were you in a, on the yeah. Glee team, were you on a, the uh, the marching band? All those different things that they that they look at that that uh, guidance counselors don't really teach in minority schools. Yeah. Because number one, like you said before, they don't really think we're going to go to college anyway. Mm-hmm. So that that happened to me. Like she was shocked when I told her that I wanted to go to college. So there's a lot that we that we're not taught in high school and middle school. That, that that is very important, and most of our parents don't know. Just like my my parents, my parents went to college for uh, what a semester, semester each, and they came out and they got a job. But they they got in uh, different from how I got in. Mm-hmm. So it's like it it, it 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 depends on 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 a lot of different things, and, and most of us really don't just don't know. <sighs> I agree, especially with the fact, well, the statement that you made about counselors lacking within that department as well. Um, I'm very passionate about that line of work 
in funneling students from high school to college because there is a large uh, gap there. Uh, I had another, sorry, I had another tweet, and I can't find it. Okay, so here is a comment, and it was made in USA Today, because this is a common question that's all across the media, especially with the uh, Missouri campus situation, which we'll hopefully unpack in a few minutes. But in regards to HBCUs, one of the reasons why HBCUs aren't as, Prominent as others is a lack of funding, and this has even garnered the attention of the White House. The White House has a HBCU initiative that they launched with the president. It has been going on, but the president has brought it to the forefront as of August of this year. And one comment is, if the endowments of all 105 HBCUs were added up, they'll still amount to less than 10% of Harvard University's endowments, which at upwards of $30 billion is the wealthiest of any college in the world. Now, everyone on the line is familiar with Harvard? Yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I figured. So... Harvard has the ability to develop these these individuals that graduate with a stamp of approval and they're able to go out into the workforce and get jobs that provide them with a substantial income. And what they do is actually give back to their institution. Mm -hmm. And this is something that is very, very prominent within PWIs with HBCUs since I've attended both. Uh, with HBCUs, I've seen that it kind of lacks. It, it seems as if they don't give back, which is one of the reasons why HBCUs aren't really able to compete uh, currently in 2015 and soon to be 2016. Uh, any? Do you guys give back to your alma mater? I don't, I don't mean to put you on the spot. <laughs> I haven't really done it that much either. <laughs> I probably gave. I was probably given probably about $50. That, that's about it. I've been out of school. How long? I have a goal. Like, I have plans. When I arrive, that is definitely on my list of things to do, but I have not arrived. <laughs> I yeah. have not arrived. I think something else in that in that same vein, something else to consider is those um, big PWI schools, they also have um, Division One sports. So they bring in a lot of mm-hmm. revenue from other places, too. Um, right. A, a lot that was of my way of giving back. Yeah, <laughs> they they make a lot of money from that. So, um, and and we don't have that historically. Black colleges. I mean, you might get a couple good players here and there, but not so much that you can really sustain um, or or get the kind of revenue from. Like that's almost passive income for them. You know, like you don't even have mm-hmm. to. Look for the money to come back. If you got a sports team that that has a, a following, a fan base, then you've pretty much banked for your your college. Right, and and the the more predominant your school, the more money you get for these games too. Mm-hmm. Like I know uh, we we had a talk with our our university coach one time, and and uh, he he told us how much we get for for every away game that we play during the season. Mm-hmm. And it was it you for every each game you would get uh probably someone's salary for an entire year mm. for one game. And we would play we would play half away games and half home games every year. So there's no they, so they make some serious money uh in sports. And it, it definitely it definitely benefits when you're a D one and you have those type of uh means of getting collecting funds which adds to recruiting. And you can you can do more for your school, and you can actually reach out to to a alumni have different things where they come to the sports games and and uh, like just just different things that that are, that will that attract people to come back. But I, I do think that there's a, there's definitely a a lack of uh, giving back to uh, uh, the HBCUs. Uh, my my partner in one of my businesses, he went to uh, what is it, South Carolina, was A and T. Mm-hmm. I think he went to A and T, and I think that's the same school that they were they were they were uh, talking about closing, uh, well shutting down a, a few months ago, if I'm not mistaken. I know it was one of those the the the, the HBCUs in South Carolina that was uh that they were shutting down, and uh, part of the reason was it, like uh, it was the 
the alumni giving back, and uh, don't it, it, it's bad to say, but it, the other reason was they were misusing the funds. Like they they couldn't they couldn't account for a lot of the funds that they were spending, and that was one of the reasons that that uh the the, the state was actually going to shut them down. So I, I think that 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 is that that's also an issue in our community. But like, how do you how do you address it and how do you change it? People need to pay attention and watch what their school does and focus. I guess. I'm talking all this crap on this radio, so I guess I need to actually go and sit down back at my alma mater and be more active, other than saying, yeah, yeah, I'm a court. So thank you for bringing that up. That that opened my eyes personally. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, I, I felt convicted. Yeah, you have to I'm hold those people accountable. Yes, yeah, we all have to be held accountable. Um so I know you guys have heard of this Missouri University of Missouri incident that's well, this whole epidemic that's going on there. Um any thoughts on the racial injustices taking place and presidents having to step down and students being threatened online for race issues? No? Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, I'm I'm ready to go back and roll in college just so I can join the protest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's I'm, good. I'm ready to go back out there because, like, I I know what they're going through. I've been through mm-hmm. it. I went to uh, one of the schools I was at. Uh, just from a, a personal experience, the the our team was actually sitting in the cafeteria. We were, we were sitting there all talking and everything. And uh, we had a uh, we had a, a white guy walk up to us and uh, ask us were we still upset about slavery. Mm-hmm. So we yeah it, it was a kind of a shock moment to where like we thought we we misheard him. So we, we asked him again like what he said, and he and he 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 repeated the same exact question were we upset about slavery. So uh, before like I, I was I'm pretty much I'm the level headed guy. I'm always the calm one. So but my teammates my teammates were not like the most calm people to deal with. Like they were kinda from the they were kinda kinda rough mm. and didn't really know how to deal with people and they they like they actually kinda they, they roughed this guy up, man. Like it it was it was bad and uh the the situation could have got out of hand. But we had uh, some some uh, some of the other white people that were in the cafeteria with us. They actually spoke up, and they said that they heard him. And it, mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't for them actually stepping up, they were going to take they were going to take my my teammates to jail because they didn't believe uh, what 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 uh, what we were telling him that this guy was saying to us. Like, and and that was just the the the, the one piece that he said. So there was, was a whole bunch of other stuff that he said that that that, that set them off, and I couldn't hold them back anymore. But I, I know what they're going through. I've been through it. Multiple schools being uh, being harassed on campus for for being black uh, by the by the campus police. A lot, of, a whole lot of different things. And and so like I I understand what they're going through. So if I was still in school right now, I would definitely be out there with them because it, it makes no sense for you to have to feel unsafe and feel like you have to worry about uh, someone coming to attack you for you standing up for yourself. Mm-hmm. I find that the the situation for the school is something that might have always happened, but it's in the forefront now because of the football team that actually said, hey, mm-hmm. we're going to protest and not play. That was so powerful in my eyes. The football team had it to was, do that, and then y'all pay attention. I I just thought there was something about that. But, again, the question comes up with why are these students even subjecting themselves to this type of lifestyle within the school system when they can just go to HBCU and they won't have those types of problems? (laughs) Any thoughts on that? So that would only shelter them. That Um, that would only shelter them until they got out of of college. Like, so what do they do? When they go into the real world. Mhm. That's a good point. What about you, Desiree? 
I don't I don't think that's an issue. Because no. when you brought it no. Because um we mature not only um through what we learn and what we experience but also with age. Like the older you get the um <laughs> Well, yeah, okay, we like <laughs> we like the <laughs> But cognitively, like, you start to mature, um, and and you have more uh, worldly experiences. I don't think, I think at the at the age of college, especially, like, from, from where I am now and the age I am now, when you look back, like, when we get to college, we thought we were grown. But when I see an 18, 19-year-old now, I'm like, this little girl, this little boy, you know. Mm-hmm. So A baby. Yeah, they're, they're very young, and... They're um, still rather emotional. Like, I, I thought about it and seeing all those protests and everything, and I was talking to my fiancé, and I'm like, there is nothing like an empowered college kid to, like, really start a revolution. And um, I don't think that's necessary if the goal in going to college is to get your education. Um so, you know, like, sometimes we got to pick our battles and pick our focus. And, and from a personal perspective, if I saw, if I was if I was 17, like, in high school right now today, and I had to make a decision about where I would go to college based on what I'm seeing happening, I would absolutely choose the HBCU because I could not be bothered with trying to deal with race relations and go to school to be a chemist at the same time. Like, that's just too much. Right, and then, but at the same time, like, like, I, like, I understand that part. But then, if if just think, majority of these uh, HBCUs, you said they're they're in ni- only in nineteen states, right? So black people, African Americans in all fifty states. So if you're not near a HBCU and you have no means to get there, what school are you going to go to? Mhm. And then on on top of that, a lot of us can't afford to travel like that. So most, a lot of us go to state schools. State schools are always mixed. State, with a state yeah. school, you never know who's going to come in there. There's a lot of farmers in this country, and, and 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 I've met a lot of these farmers, and they are very very closed off from the real world. So, so some of them, when I went to school, this was the first time for me interacting with white people. This was the first time they ever saw a black person in real life. Mm-hmm. So, some of that is, is going to come. Like you just like it's, it's good that they're learning how to deal with this stuff. I'm 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 definitely proud that they're standing up for themselves. But at the end of the day, you're going to school to learn. You don't want to have to deal with something like that. And like, if 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 you can't travel to a, a HBCU and that's all you have to go to, then what are you supposed to do? Just sit there and take it. But that um that just that just made me think about something too though. We. If there's limitations, I shouldn't say if, because there are such limitations with um, what the majority of our, our kids know about their resources and how they can go to college. Like, I don't I don't feel like anybody, any kid should feel like they have to stay within in the state um, because they can't afford to leave, because they can. If, if, you, if, if you're in a um, financial situation where you literally cannot afford to go, then there's financial aid so that you can afford to go. You know what I mean? Like I, I wasn't in a position to, um, to afford much. You know, I, I come from a basic middle class family, and then on top of that, I, I had a kid early, so I wasn't even a part of my parents' uh, <laughs> taxes, and you know, I had, I had to stand on my own. And standing on my own, I got a lot more than what I got from my two working parents as far as financial aid and. Um, assistance to go to college was concerned. So there are resources. Our, our kids just don't know it, and that goes back to, you right. know, not having a guidance counselors and all that. So there's work to do there so that they don't have to feel so limited. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can agree Because, I mean, that's that. true. I, I, I agree that they end up having to go to state colleges. And, you know, when you don't know, you don't know. So your mindset right can really keep you where you are just because you don't know that there's a way out or you don't even know that you can look for a way out. You know, like they don't they don't even necessarily have the um the tools to do the research or or the wherewithal to say, let me dig deeper and see if if there's a solution because no one's taught them that either. 
Like, yeah, it's, it's work to be done. I just got a little passionate about it. <laughs> <laughs> really, because I mean, cause it makes me feel some kind of way. It really is a, a majority of, like, inner city kids. Um, don't know. They're bright. Our kids <clears throat> are so bright, but they we're, they don't get exposed to everything that they need to be exposed to. I know my mother even said, um, we have a school here, and it, generationally, my mother went there, my grandmother, and me and my sister went. But we it's a college preparatory school here. Um, you have to take a test to get in and blah, blah, blah. So we had good guidance counselors and all that kind of stuff. Um, right. But even still, my mother didn't know. She thought she couldn't go to college. It, she was like, people like me don't go to college. So when she had to sit down with her guidance counselor, she gave her the resources, like, yeah, people like you do go to college, and here's what you're going to do. Um, but like you said, everybody doesn't have that um, that benefit. So, yeah, that that just touched the core for me. I don't like that. Yeah. All right. I have another question for you guys, and this is from Stacy. She wants to know, how can we expose you to other cultures prior to college in order to prepare them for the real world? You have to do how can um, we expose them? Outside of school. Yeah. Yeah. How can yeah. we expose you to other cultures prior to college in order to prepare them for, for the real world? Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, I think you that know, first we have to get out of our parents. comfort zone. Yeah. Definitely have to get out of the comfort zone. Like I, I know for a fact that most of us we don't go to museums, we don't we don't take trips to, to, to experience different things. Like how many how many how many friends do you know as a as a kid uh, their family took road trips just to just to go somewhere and see something that they've never seen before? Mm. Most most of us, most of my friends and uh for the most part a lot of the adults that I've met uh outside after college uh, if they they live in a particular part of the city, most of them have will will never venture outside that part of the city, or they they won't or they won't be they won't leave that city. Period. They don't know anything outside of what they what they know, and they 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 part of it is no one has taught them, and they they haven't been exposed to it. And the other part is fear of of the unknown. Mm-hmm. So we have to, we have to break that break that cycle of of, of just teaching our kids only what's in our neighborhood. Like my, my mother did a great job at that. She put us in she put us in every kind of sport when we were younger, baseball, basketball, uh, put us in uh computer computer classes during the summer where we would we would go and travel to these different tournaments and these different things and we would we would we would see all these different different cultures. We didn't necessarily interact with them, but we we did at least see them and and, and from from us traveling and everything, it, it taught me that it's okay to explore and, and go somewhere that you haven't been before. Like, and, and uh, I think that helped me uh, uh, when I came out of college and I, I, I ended up starting to play, I went uh, overseas to play ball, went to nine different countries by myself, didn't know anyone, didn't speak the language. But from that experience when I was a little kid, it kind of, it, it made it, it made me feel like it was okay to go somewhere that, that, that you don't know. Like uh-huh. it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable, but by you being uncomfortable, once you get to that, that place, you become comfortable and everything is okay. And a lot of our a lot of our kids they don't get exposed to that. Even even for me, I've had I, I've had a lot of job opportunities that come my way that I try to present to my friends here in the states. And for the most part, they're scared to go because they've never been anywhere, and they haven't been exposed to different cultures and different different ways of of, uh, of life and different ways of thinking. And they end up turning down great jobs because they fear. Uh, uh, they fear they're they're getting out of their comfort zone. So, uh, like that is that is a, that's the, I think that's the most important thing that we need to work on, especially with our with our youth, because they 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 don't know they're still learning, so they're open. But the older you get, the more closed off you become. Mhm. Yeah, that's true. It used to be that churches um, would do like stuff with the youth, and they would take them. I know my friends' church growing up, they would take the kids um, to one of the classics every year. Um, mm-hmm. And, yeah, like just different stuff like that where, you know, there's an organization or an entity 
that can help to raise the funds to get the kids to go different places um, and do different things. Or like it used to be even the schools would do stuff like that, like trips to Washington, D.C. for educational purposes. And um, some of the kids in high school went to, I think they went to Israel in my class. I don't remember where they went. Really? Um, wow. <laughs> at, at the time that it was. It was, but it was an outside, outside program. So, like, if, if you found out about something, you would, you know, talk to your parents about it. You, maybe you've got a flyer or, you know, a little handout where they'll tell you something that's going on. But I just feel like maybe maybe these schools are not infusing those things. Like, when, when they come across those resources, because everybody gets them. I mean, if you know anybody that's, like, in social work or education, they mm-hmm. they spread emails like crazy. So they know what's going on. It's just are you trickling it down to the kids so that they actually are exposed to it and they can even decide if they're going to ask their parents or try to figure it out, or are you making a decision for them, like, oh, they're not going to go, they won't be able to afford to go. or they, You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I, ooh, it's definitely an issue on the upper level that where our kids used to have opportunities for things because there were adults that were around to help them figure it out or, or that cared enough to try to figure it out for them. I think we're struggling with that now. And that does keep, because it is going to be kids whose parents don't take them um, anywhere outside of their own state or their own city for that matter. And, and they need an outside influence to, to do that for them. And they're not getting that. So, Terrible. No, they they are absolutely not. Um, I just wanted to address the current Twitter war that's going on with a young man by the name of Kevin Jackson. His Twitter name is at Black Sphere. He is an analyst for Fox. Um, he's basically saying that he blames most of the majority of the issues that the black community is having within the educational or academic structure is based on the laziness, and he feels that laziness? people, yes, laziness, and he feels that black people feel entitled and they're ignorant to the fact that they have to do work in order to fit into society. So it's not just a white society; you just have to fit in and if you're not fitting in it's because you're lazy so i was told to address that (laughs) so feel free to go visit his twitter handle and see how he's uh spreading his opinion on twitter uh, he sounds like a republican (laughs) yeah he does sound like a republican (laughs) Um, but I received a few more questions. We only have seven minutes. I told y'all that this is gonna go by fast. <laughs> mm-hmm. I received a few more questions. Uh, from one of them is from a young lady that I met at Thornwood. I have one of my foundations is called Mogul Academy and we did a panel at Thornwood this week where we presented five wonderful female entrepreneurs to over a hundred students and they gave them encouraging words and advice. And uh, one of the ladies has been following me on via social media ever since, and she would like to know if you guys have any advice on how to survive in a PWI as a black student. <laughs> you want to know what my <laughs> what I did? <laughs> sure. <laughs> this is interesting. Um, well, let me just say when I when I left my HBCU. To return home and I had to go to a PWI, I was so mad that I had to leave that um, white people were invisible to me. So mm-hmm. I was on campus, campus full of white people, and they did not exist. So probably for as much as we think white people don't pay us any attention, I was absolutely not paying no attention to them white people. Um, <laughs> just because I was mad, you know, I wanted to still, I was young, and I still wanted to be where I wanted to be. And um, life had... I, I made different life decisions, so I had to come home. Anyway, um, I stayed to myself. Um, I had, I think by the time I got to, because I went to two, actually. The school I came home to is not the school I stayed at. I went to another school um, after the first year I was here. And um, I made friends within my my classes, um, and they were all white. 
and that was cool. But they, they were white people that were people, and um, with them, I didn't have to deal with any um, issues. I never felt like I looked I looked different or behaved different or anything like that. Um, but but that was that. I found my people, and even then, it was just. Um, while I was on campus, you know, what I was doing, maybe lunch here, study group there, and that was it. So I, I can't say that I really even opted in to the experience of navigating a PWI. I went to class and I went home. Yeah, my, mine was pretty much the same. For, for me, I'm I'm not a I'm not a group person. I'm more yeah, I'm, me I've been more more individualistic my whole life. So for me. Like I was there, I I I knew what my mission was when I went to school, and my mission was to get there, get my degree, get my job, and and that's it. Like I didn't care about what was going on on campus, I didn't care about uh, who was throwing what party. Like for for me, like I like I thought of all those people as followers, and and I knew what my goal is, and I wasn't gonna let anybody deter me from 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 uh, accomplishing my goal. So you have to know what you want to do. And when you get there, set your goal and follow through. So you, you have to be a, a, a woman or a man of your word, especially to yourself. You got to hold yourself accountable. Yeah, because I'm the same type of person. It's like I'm I'm real comfortable with myself. <laughs> I don't have to be involved in a group. I don't have to have a lot of friends or you know much social interaction. So I just opted out of of that experience. Okay. Another question from Xavier. He wants to know, are black sellouts for attending PWIs? Again, for those of you listening, PWIs are predominantly white institutions. Uh, I'll go first on this. I really do not feel that black people are sellouts, quote-unquote, for attending PWIs. It depends on the opportunities and availability that they have within schools. James mentioned earlier about students not being able to actually physically get to those schools because they're so far away. And also I feel that a lack of knowledge or exposure to HBCUs might hinder students' abilities to pick HBCUs over PWS. And I personally don't think that blacks are sellouts for going to PWS. What about you guys? No, I think that's ridiculous. No. <laughs> no. Yeah, I, I I don't know where that question came from. That's not that that's they're not sellouts. They're trying to get an education. So anyone yeah. anyone is trying to get an education, man. They're they're definitely not sellouts. All right. Speaking of education, just so you guys know, on December 11th, my foundation, the Jessica LaShawn Foundation, will be hosting its first annual college prep boot camp where we'll review college essays, do a FAFSA review, and give you a starter kit. We'll do a college academic and sports program analysis. For more information, visit jessicalashawn.org. Or to volunteer, feel free to send me an email at jl at jessicalashawn.org. Yay. So we only have about two more minutes, you guys. Any closing thoughts? Desiree, I want you to plug yourself and your business real quick, and um, I'll give you about a minute each. Ready, set, go. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Desiree Maddox. I'm a cosmetic chemist and beauty brand strategist. I develop high-end beauty products, and I build iconic beauty brands. I am the glam scientist. That's all. (laughs) (laughs) I love your whole glam scientist look. It's so beautiful. (laughs) Your packaging is amazing. All right, James, what about you? All right, um, I'm the business development manager for Impact Sports. Uh, we're we're here in Chicago. We're in Dubai. We're in uh, Africa. We're in Europe. Well, we help kids with education and sports. If you want to play both, that's fine. We also help the guys with athletic scholarships. We help them get into college. Uh, I'm a talent booker. Uh, that's global concert promotions. I work with all different type of artists, uh, young and old, new and uh, I guess you would say uh, classic. So mm-hmm. if you need help with that. I can help you with that also. All right. Again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to JL Radio. Remember, you can subscribe on your iTunes channel, and therefore you won't miss 
anything. Thanks so much for your support. We had over 500 listeners last week, so thank you guys for listening and tuning in. Shout out to DJ Don Peace, who's going to provide us with our closing music. Thanks to everybody that called in. You guys are awesome. Have a great night. Just figure. Oh, oh, oh. I just wanna see you.